0: beginner Bible class. I was given a bracelet. It won't fit over my thumb hardly, but uh, I don't know who it belongs to, but it'll be laying on this table. All right. We finished the book of 2 Peter last week, and I'd hesitate to start anything new because I'll be here this week and next week, then I'm going to miss for two weeks uh, from other obligations. So we're going to, like I told you last week, we're going to go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we talked about verse 16 and studying the book, and Peter said that people twist scriptures. He said people do that to Paul's Scriptures, and actually he says they do that to the rest of the Scriptures. In fact, people just twist the whole Bible. And he says sometimes people do it because they are unlearned, which simply means ignorant. Uh, they just really don't know any better. And to be fair, maybe some people do. They, uh, they, maybe they're trying to do what's right and, and maybe just don't have a good understanding. They just don't know any better. He says some people do it because uh, they have no conviction. Unstable is the word that Peter uses. Some people don't have any conviction, and therefore they twist scriptures. People do it for all kinds of different reasons. A lot of people misunderstand and misinterpret Scripture because that's what they've always been taught. That's what maybe their family believed or whatever. And again, a lot of times it's not because people are just malicious and they're just trying uh, to do this. But in any case, it's done. And as Christians, we want to make sure that that what we teach and what we practice is according to the Bible. You know, on the Day of Judgment, we're going to each one stand before God. And I want to be able to stand before God, and I I want to be able to say, "I, I tried the very best of my ability to live in accordance with your will. I tried to understand it to the very best of my ability. I tried to keep it to the best of my ability. And that's all that I think God could ask of us. That's all He could ask of us. I talked a little bit about this last week, but I'm going to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I'm going to talk about the fact that so many people misinterpret this passage of Scripture. So many people twist it. In fact, I have been told so many times in my life, and a lot of times they'll say this, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And isn't that a contradiction? Anything alone is Alone, there's nothing else that ties in with it. But people will say, we're saved by grace. There's absolutely nothing that you can do. You have no active part in it. Christ's work is finished on the cross. And, and they just continue to throw out thing after thing after thing after thing. But I want to go and I want to see what it truly says. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not that we earn it. It's the gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Is that true today? Is salvation a gift of God? You better believe it. Mankind did not deserve salvation. Mankind has never done anything to merit our salvation. We can never be good enough. God didn't have to do any of this for us. It is of His own free will that He gave us everything that is required for salvation it is a gift of God let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and let's get in context and then I've got a powerpoint all together and we're going to look at some other scriptures and and tie some things in and and I've done seen I've got a lot of slides and I don't have a lot of time uh, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 he ends chapter 1 talking about the church is Christ's body all things according to the church are under His feet. He has authority over what we do, what we practice, what we believe, everything in our lives. He has that authority. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1, He says, And you He made alive. Again, we're talking about Christ. He is the one that made us alive. He says, Who were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, In, want, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. The apostle Paul says every one of us at one point in, our time, at one point in time in our lives, we lived according to the flesh. We did what we wanted, when we wanted We were dead, he says. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We were lost without hope. No salvation separated from God is what he's saying. And look again at verse 1. He made you alive. He did it. It was the gift that came from God that made it possible for you to be alive, for you to no longer be dead in those trespasses and sin. He says, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy, Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a whole lot of teaching in those few verses and we don't have time to go through and and break it down piece by piece. But it's because of God's mercy The richness of God's mercy that the sacrifice was made, that the gift was offered for us. It was because of God's great love, he said, that he loved us so much that he was willing to give us what's talked about in Ephesians 2, verse 89. He says, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together. What does the Bible say happens when you and I are baptized into Christ? Somebody tell me. We die to sin, and what happens when we come up out of the water? We made us alive together with Him, right? Baptism is what puts us into Christ, gives us that covenant relationship with Him. What's Paul talking about in verses 4 through 6? He's talking about the point that these people became New Testament Christians. God was rich in mercy. He provided you away. God loved you so much, He provided you away. God is the one that took you and cut away all the sins of your heart when you obeyed the gospel and you were buried in baptism and He raised you up to be a new creature. You're alive again. You were dead before that and when you raised back up, you were alive. You were alive and you had life with Christ because He is that life. He goes on to say that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All those blessings that are in Christ Jesus. And then we get to our scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's go on and we'll come back to this in a minute. Do these verses teach that salvation is completely based upon God and I have absolutely no active part whatsoever. See, a lot of people teach that very thing. God is the only active participant. The Spirit of God operates on our heart and we're saved. We don't do absolutely anything. When people look at that verse, that's what they draw out of it and we want to see exactly what the verse teaches. We want to see, we want to put the Bible together piece by piece and we want to see what it teaches i want to ask some questions and i think every person that is religious believes jesus christ is the son of god they would believe in in these uh questions is salvation of god absolutely salvations of god the bible teaches that over and over are we saved by grace church we we've got to get this we're not saved by merit and sometimes in the church we push this thing to the opposite end of the spectrum and we almost come across as as we are good enough You're never going to be good enough. You're saved by grace. the only way you can be saved by grace is salvation a gift. We already said, yes, salvation is a gift. God didn't have to provide the way of salvation, but He freely chose to do that. Can I earn my salvation again? No. Everybody can agree on this. What's the disagreement then? What's the disagreement with people? The disagreement is when it comes to does this verse exclude every work how does grace save me? Is that fair questions is that something sometimes that we don't know how to answer when people present us with these things and you know we're just what well, the bible says so and and, and you know you kind of hum haul around and this and that and you don't really know what to say we've got to go to the bible and we've got to see what the bible says so when the question is asked do i have to do anything do i have to do anything in order to be saved that's a fair question and then if i'm going to answer that question i need to go to the bible and, and see what the bible teaches in luke chapter 10 verse 25 there was a certain lawyer came and he stood up and he tempted him and he said master what shall i do to inherit eternal life this guy must have been under the impression that that he had a part in whatever it took to obtain eternal life right Apparently, religious people, they had this inclination that they thought that there was something they needed to do. Again, Luke 18, a certain ruler came to him and asked the same question. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We go on to Acts 2, verse 37. Peter had preached that first gospel sermon and he told them, you guys have killed the Son of God, the Messiah you've been looking for for 1,500 years. As Jews, you killed him. You hung him on a tree. The Bible says they're pricked in their heart and they ask, what do I do? What do I do? Do I have to do anything? These people were under the impression there was something they had to do. Acts chapter 9, verse 6, the Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul that's writing Ephesians 2, same man, he sees the light and he's trembling and astonished and what does he ask? What do you have me to do? What do I need to do? Acts 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer, they're there in prison. The earthquake opens all the doors. He's scared to death. Everybody's gone. He's about to kill himself. And and Paul and Silas is, don't do that. We're all here. What does he say? What do I do to be saved? You realize every time people ask this question, and it's asked over and over and over again, not one time is anyone told you don't do anything. Not one time. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus says not everyone that saith to me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he that what doeth doeth Jesus says there's things you've got to do you, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven simply based upon just some mental acknowledgement just by some crying out just by just by saying whatever it is that men say that you've got to he says that, that's not how it works he says, you can't go to heaven unless you do what I say. Same chapter, he goes on and, and he says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Again, more than just hearing and just simply, but you got to do something. He says, the person that hears what I've got to say and does what I've got to say, he says, that person is a wise man that builds his house upon the rock and his house is going to stand. Why? Because that man is in Christ Jesus. He has founded upon the rock. And the rock is the confession Peter made in, in Matthew chapter 16. This man's a Christian. And no matter what comes, this man is where he needs to be. This man is in a saved condition. But Jesus said, that only happens if you do what I say. Acts chapter 9 verse 6, we looked at the first part of the verse just a moment ago. Saul of Tarsus, he's trembling, he's astonished, and he cries out. And he said, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do in order to be forgiven and be saved. Because, see, when Jesus appeared to him, he accused him, didn't he? He says, you're persecuting me. You are going against me. You're in the wrong. You're lost. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I fix this problem? He says, you arise, you go to the city, and it'll be told what you must do. If there's something you must do, that's an imperative, isn't it? It's not just you know go do this if you want to or just. Ask. He says there's something you must do. When Peter went to Cornelius's house and and what was he told? Peter was told, "You go to Cornelius's house and and or he's sending to him. And when Peter comes, he will tell you what you must do. He'll tell you, Cornelius, what you've got to do in order to become a New Testament Christian. There's something that I must do." Well, let me ask you something. Just because a person is asked to do something, does that make it no longer of grace? Fair question, right? You see, a lot of people, they say that. If if you have any active part, then it's no longer of grace, then it becomes of works. But can God use works of obedience and our faith coupled together in order to provide His grace unto us. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says we access God's grace through our faith. That's how we access. We have an obedient faith that obeys whatever it is that He tells us to do. And some of these are at different times. And once we act upon that, God's grace is given unto us. Numbers chapter 21 People murmured against Moses. And you've heard this so many times. They murmured against God. They're upset. And what does God do? Sends fiery serpents among them. Oh, and people cry out, you know, and they, they, they want relief from this. They want, they want this to be gone. They want to be healed because these are killing people. Does God provide grace? What's his grace? Somebody tell me. God provides grace in Numbers 21. What is it? a brass serpent, on a pole. Would anybody argue that that's God's grace? I want you look at these people. They are nothing but complainers. That's all they've done. That's all they've done from the time that they left was complain. Did they earn anything? Did they deserve to get the brass serpent? No, they deserved to die from the fiery serpents. So the brass serpent was God's grace. But was God asking them to go out of their tents and go and look at that brass serpent? Did that take away the fact that it was still by his grace? No. And Naaman, you know, he he's the a, a commander over the Assyrian army. He's got leprosy and and there's a there's a Israelite that is staying there in his house, servant girl, and she says, Man, if he was in Israel, they they could heal him. So he sends a letter to the king, his king sends a letter to the king of Israel, and I can't do that. What do you think, I'm God? But Elisha hears about it and he says, you send him to me. And he comes to Elisha. And Elisha provides a way through God that this man can be healed of his leprosy. Was that gracious of God? Did this man deserve to be healed? No. Were the Syrians, uh, were they enemies of God's people? Yes. This man did not deserve to be healed. But God provided a way, right? And the way was, you go dip into Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And the guy got angry. He got angry. That's silly. There's other rivers that are way better and his, and his servant says, Lord, if he'd ask you to do something huge and big and you've done it without asking. God provided grace, but he still expected that man to access his grace through faith. You've got to believe what he says. You've got to act upon it. The blind man, The man born blind in John chapter 9, that man had never done anything to merit God's grace. In fact, he was not even a believer. At the beginning, and we've talked about that here, at the beginning, it was just a man named Jesus told me to do this. I don't know anything about him. At the end of the chapter, he is a believer. But at the beginning, he knows nothing about it. He had done nothing to merit God's grace. But Jesus offered it to him, but it was contingent upon what? He had to go what? Wash in the pool of Siloam, right? Did that make God's grace? of? Did that throw it away? Did that make it that this man's restoration of his sight was because of his works? No, absolutely not. God's grace provided the way. And the man had to choose to do what God said in order to receive what God had offered the hall of faith hebrews chapter 11 each one of those people were recipients of god's grace but each one of those people had an active obedient faith everyone by faith they did this by faith they did they did what god said and they were recipients of god's grace it didn't make them earn anything it didn't make them earn anything they were just simply obedient to what god had to say i've got a question a lot of the religious world says grace and grace alone saves us. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Titus 2, verse 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. If grace saves us, the Bible says grace has appeared to everybody. So the fair question is, is everybody saved? If grace and grace alone is all it takes, according to that verse, everybody's saved. God's grace has been offered to everybody. It's been presented for you. Every person, if you're in this assembly, if you're listening on the internet, it doesn't matter if you're in the deepest, darkest jungle in the world, God's grace has appeared to you. It's there for the taking. Just like it was there for the people that was bitten by the fiery serpent. Just like it was there for Naaman. Just like it was there for the man born blind. Just like it's there for everybody you ever read about in the Bible. God's grace is there for the taking you got to take it. you got to take it. In fact, Titus 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. What did that grace do for all men? Fair question, right? We don't need to just pick one verse out and, and try to apply it to what we teach. What did that grace do for all men? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. What's the next thing it says? Teaching us. What does God's grace do for you and I today? It teaches us, right? It teaches us what to do in order to inherit eternal life. We're born again, Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, not a corruptible seed, or verse 23, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. He says, verse 22, you purify your souls through obeying the truth. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto us And it has taught us what God would have us to do. There's that phrase again. What God would have us to do in order to inherit eternal life. And just because God asked me to do something does not negate the fact that it is of His grace that I'm saved. There's not a man alive, save Jesus Christ deserved to go to heaven. Not a man alive. But yet He offers that to every one of us. Every one of us. And all we've got to do is exactly what he says: Just be obedient. We could take and we could look at other passages. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, would be a a parallel to what we're looking at in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Does that sound exactly like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, the beginning? He says, but he made us alive because we were once dead in our trespasses, our sin. We'd done all of these horrible things. We walked and did what we wanted to our whole lives. But he gave us an opportunity to have all that wiped away. That's what Ephesians 2 teaches. Titus chapter 3 says the same thing. You've lived like that. We've all lived like that. He says, but after that, the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. The exact same thing Ephesians 2 says. And he says it's not by works of righteousness that we had done. God didn't offer His grace to us because we merited it. He's never even thought of that. Well, there's nobody that merited it. Even the best people in the Bible, every one of them messed up. Romans 3.23, all sin comes short of the glory of God. Every one of us. So that that grace, that love, that mercy that God presented, Paul says it's not because of works of righteousness that we've done. That's not why it was presented. But according to His mercy, He saved us. God looked down upon us and He says, I'm going to be merciful to you. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. In fact, I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you a way to take it away. And the way to take all that away is through the washing of regeneration. regeneration. What does that mean? Fair question, right? Doesn't it mean the same thing that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5? That that Christ purifies us through the washing of water by the Word? Doesn't it mean the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3? You can't go to heaven except you're born of water and the Spirit? Doesn't all that mean the exact same thing? When you submit yourselves to what God said to do, then you have access to the grace that God has presented unto you. And it's not because of anything that you earn. God says you are a filthy rag. Isn't that what Isaiah said? When you've done everything that you could possibly do, you're still a filthy rag. You don't earn it. God says, I'm going to provide this way. Here it is. You submit yourself. You obey what I told you to do. I'll save you. I'll save you because I'm I'm merciful. Because I'm gracious. And that's exactly what God does. Look at verse 6. Which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He made this way of salvation possible by giving us that perfect sinless sacrifice. The blood of Jesus. He says then being justified by His grace. All of that ties exactly into Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved through His love, we're saved through His mercy, we're saved through His grace, and all of that is accomplished when we do what He would have us to do, through that washing of regeneration, when we obey the command uh, to reenact the gospel. That's exactly what the Bible teaches us. And just like in Ephesians chapter 2, once that man has become a Christian, look at verse 8 in Titus chapter 3. Then his job is to work for God. Then his job is to to do the good works that God would have him to do. You see in Ephesians two eighty nine, we're saved by grace through faith. That out of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse ten: For we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus that we should what follow in the good works that will do the things that He said. The exact parallel passage, exact parallel passage in Titus chapter three. We only got a few more minutes. I want to ask you something i got a friend in Texas named John Moore, and I, I saw him do this, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And he talked about the fact that salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. So is bread. You ever considered that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus prayed in that model prayer that we call it, give us this day our daily bread. Let me ask you something. How many of you would eat today if it wasn't for the grace of God? You ever thought about that? How many of us would ever just take bread? How could we have bread without the grace of God? You ever considered that? See how grace and faith works. Just by using something as simple as a loaf of bread. What does God's grace provide? Can you make dirt? Can't get that without God, can you? Can you make a seed without God? Oh, nope, can you, can you provide rain? Nope, can you provide sunlight? Nope, what about heat? Can't do that either, can you? You can't have the seasons that all this causes to work together. You can't do absolutely any of that. But God has provided all of those things, and you and I can have bread. Number one, we've got to what? We've got to believe that if we plant a seed, we can have bread, right? That's the first step in all of it. If I don't believe, my wife planted a garden yesterday. Planted a garden yesterday, and in order to get that garden, she believes that she can plant that and then it grow. The problem is, if I don't get out there and work the ground up, it's going to be covered in weeds, and she's not going to get anything. Don't tell her I said that; she's not in here. But I've got a part to play in that, Donna. If I'm going to have bread, and I want you to think back to the first century times, today you say my bread comes from Kroger. Your bread might come from Kroger. I promise it comes from somewhere else first. A lot of people don't understand today. I heard one other day of someone going into Kroger and they asked the uh, cashier, says, now, at least chicken legs, front legs, or back legs. And the <laughs> cashier had to go ask. That was a joke somebody told. But anyways, some people don't realize your bread doesn't start at Kroger. It doesn't start at Kroger. If you're going to have bread, first thing you've got to do is you've got to prepare the soil. God provided you the soil, but if you don't prepare the soil, what's going to happen? You're going to go out there and throw seeds down on the hard dirt? What's going to happen? Nothing. Absolutely. You've got to prepare the soil. You've got to sow the seed. You've got to go back in and you've got to cultivate that. You've got to keep it worked up, keep the weeds out. You've got to harvest that crop. You've got to mill the grain. You've got to prepare the bread. And then you get to what? Then you get to eat the bread. How was it? How how did you get it? Was it all because of you? You got it because of God's grace. You got every bit of it because of God's grace. You didn't earn a bit of it. He provided the way for you to get it, a way that you can't do yourself. No way that you can do yourself. don't have the power to do that. don't have the ability to do that. But he provided the way, and through that way, you get to eat bread. Well, what about when it comes to Ephesians two eighty nine, doesn't it work the exact same way as something as simple as a loaf of bread, something that's just so simple that we can understand and what nobody can argue with. It's so simple. God's grace provided Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Can you provide that? can't do it there's no way in the world that you you can provide that that is 100 god jesus is what about the gospel for i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it's the power of god and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the jew first and also to the greek the power of god is manifested to you and i through that bible that you hold in your lap and that is the power that enables you to become a New Testament Christian. Can you do that yourself? Can you get that yourself? No. No. There's not a person alive that's ever done anything to merit the gospel of Christ. You don't do anything to get the Word of God. You may have went to some store and bought it, but the only way you can buy it is God provided you a way to buy it. He provided The gospel. God provided salvation. And He provided salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ and He provided the the avenue to obtain that through the gospel. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 teaches. That's all it teaches. God provided a way and just like the bread, I've got to have faith, don't I? I've got to have faith. In Acts 16, verse 30, we looked at that earlier, that Philippian jailer, he asked Paul and Silas, what do I do to be saved? Tell me. I, I, he's trembling in fear. He thinks he's about to be executed, and he understands, man, these people got to be from God. What do I do? He's heard them praying, he's heard them singing. He knows they're religious people. What do I do to be saved? What do you tell him in verse 31? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You believe in what he says, do, you will be saved. And people, they, they twist that verse bad. They twist that verse bad, and, and they don't bother to realize that he doesn't preach Jesus to him until the next verse. Verse 31 is simply telling him, listen, we're about to preach a message to you. If you want to be saved, you better believe that message. You better believe everything we tell you in this message. And what does that man wind up doing a few verses later? He obeys the gospel, right? He does the washing of regeneration, the washing of water by the word. He's born again through the water and the spirit. All those things happen to this man just a few verses later in Acts chapter 16. He received God's grace because he was willing to act upon his faith. Act upon his faith. John eight twenty four. Jesus said, Except you believe I am he, you'll die in your sins. you got to believe it. My faith is, it's got to happen. And you guys, you understand all of this. You understand it. My part, my part in salvation is to have an active faith. James chapter 2, the only time faith alone is in the Bible, it's condemned in James chapter 2. James says it's absolutely useless to say you've got faith and you won't do anything. You won't do anything to back up that faith. When Abraham had the knife up to slay his son Isaac, what did God tell him? He says, now I what? Now I know you believe in me. It's not just lip service. It was more than just lip service. It was someone that was willing to to believe what God said Act upon what God said. And God says, now I know that you, you're the man. You're the real deal. you realize God, in an essence, says the same thing to us when we submit our will to His will and we allow somebody to baptize us in the water? In essence, God is saying, now I know. Now I know you believe me. Now I know that you fear me, that you're willing to do what I say. Once God knows that, He provides salvation. Repentance, uh, is there's nothing... Mer- meritorious about repentance godly sorrow produces repentance you're not earning anything you're simply you are distraught over the fact that you have sinned against the holy god there's no merit on your part at all you're being poor in spirit is what jesus would say in matthew chapter 5 you're saddened by the fact that you're sinful confession where is where is any merit in confessing confession You're not standing up here and saying, boy, I want to tell y'all something. I am a great guy. I'm a great guy and you should know what all I've done. That's not what it is, is it? You're standing up there and you say, listen, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the the real deal. It's not about you. It's about Him. And baptism is most certainly not about you. It's absolutely nothing to do with you. It's about Him. We need to understand that. Last slide, and and I know where time is up. These Ephesians... That were told that they were saved by grace through faith, and that wasn't of themselves. You know, each one of those things that we teach here in the church. The Bible says those Ephesians did every one of them. You can find a verse that says the Ephesian people that Paul was writing to did every one of those. You say some of those are from Acts. Acts chapter 19 and 20 are about the Ephesian brethren. If you don't believe me, go read it for yourself. That's who he's talking to. He's there at Ephesus, and he's talking to those same people. Those people they be- they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they repented of their sins, they confessed his name, and they were baptized in water for their mission their sins, just like you and I. You see, there's it's not a hard scripture, not a hard scripture at all. The Bible is clear. The Bible's clear there's something that God expects me to do in order to be a Christian. and Those things he expects me to do is not in any shape, form, or fashion to earn my salvation. It's to simply submit myself to his will. That's what God asks of us. I appreciate your attention this morning. Our time is up.